All Things True, where we talk about things that are good, pure, and praiseworthy. I'm your host, Stephanie Kirkpatrick. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to you all. What a great day it is, and I'm happy to be here with you. We just want to take a moment to welcome Christ Church family in with us today. Uh, I have the honor and the privilege to stand in for their pastor's wife, Stephanie, who is my sister-in-law. We've been friends and sisters for a long time, for more than half our lives, and I know that she is dearly missing you. And I know that she would be doing this in at her church today, but I'm just honored to be able to stand in her shoes today as well as stand here before our church today. And what a great day it is. I just want to tell every one of you that you are special. And I don't just think about this as being Mother's Day, but I think about it being Women's Day. And in the Bible, it tells us that on the sixth day, God looked at all that he created and said it was good. And then he rested. But then he realized that he needed to create a partner, a helpmate for Adam. And so after the seventh day, it says that he took the rib from Adam and he created Eve. So I kind of like to think of it as that he saved the best for last, that he created woman last because he knew that she was the cherry on top. So happy Woman's Day to you. And I just want to say that I think you're wonderful, you're unique, you're special. And today we celebrate you ladies today. I'm so excited about this message, and I've been thinking about this for a while, and just recently, Pastor Allen took us through a series in Esther and called it Haman the Hangman, and he kind of looked at the book of Esther from the view of the villain, and so today, I I really just felt led to go back to Esther, and I want to take it from a different perspective, and Esther is one of the most unique books in the Bible. And what makes it so unique is that when you study history, you learn that it was one of the last books that they accepted into the canon, which is what we know as the Holy Bible. And the reason why they kind of struggled, I don't want to say struggle, but really that they took such time in looking at it is because when you read the book, you really don't ever hear the, see or hear the word of you, the name God. And so it's a very historical book, but what was unique about this book was at the end of the book that because of what happened, that there came a celebration, a festival called the Festival of Purim. And this was a big festival to the Jewish people. And so because of what this represented was because of the salvation of their people, that God had spared their lives, that they realized that this book had a lot of depth and a lot of meaning to it. And so I just want to encourage you that if you haven't read through the book of Esther, to take some time, don't just read it, but study it, because the book of Esther is a very unique book when it, when it talks about, there's so many different stories. I remember as a young child hearing it for the first time and hearing this story about a, a young girl that became a queen. Well, what young girl doesn't want to be a queen and live the life of luxury? But I want to tell you today that there's a lot of depth to the book of Esther. So when you dive into it, what you're going to find is it's almost like a diamond. And a diamond has many facets. And when you turn it this way or that way, you see the beauty. It allows you to see the beauty inside. And that, to me, is what this book represents. There's a real beauty inside. And I want to encourage you, 
if you don't have a regular study time or study the word, that God's word is something that we almost have to absorb, that we have to continue to allow it to speak into our life. And maybe we see it, we read it one time, but when we read it again, something new, a new facet of that diamond re is revealed to us. And that's what the book of Esther is like. There's so many different truths and things that we can bring out of this book. And so today, the, the scripture that I've chosen is like our main text today is in Esther 4.14, but I'm going to read the last half of this scripture today. So turn with me, if you would, to Esther 4, 14. And we're going to read the last half of it. And it says, And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. This is probably one of the most common Use phrases in the Bible. I don't know if you're really into Christian decor, but this is a phrase that you see a lot in Christian decor. You'll see it on, on pictures, on shirts. It says, for such a time as this. And this is a really phrase that a lot of people say, but they don't really know where it's come from. But it has such powerful meaning, for such a time as this. You know what I like to read about the story of Esther is to really reach in there and take the, the meat of what God is saying. And for Esther, there, this verse is such a pivotal verse for her. And, and for her, it was a life-changing verse. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that today as we get into the Word of God. Well, we all have a story similar to Esther's. Esther's wasn't much different than, than your story or my story. There was tragedy, there was, there was sorrow, there was loss. We read where she lost her parents at a young age. She had dysfunctional relationships. She had unhealthy relationships. She had some difficult situations. But these things did not stop God's plan for her life. And so I want to tell you today a few things. This week when I was studying and kind of diving into the Word of God, there's a few things that I learned that I want to kind of share with you today and what I want to call kind of the backstory to Esther, just to kind of give us a little bit more uh, detail so we can kind of pull a little bit more from this story. So a few things that we learned about Esther is that her birth name was uh, Hadassah. And that means myrtle tree. And if you were to look in the Judeo-Christian Bible, myrtle tree means it signifies fertility and life. But that's not the name she was known by. She had a family nickname, and her nickname was Esther. And that's what she was called. And Esther means star. My children had nicknames too. My son, we called him Buddy. And I remember when he went to kindergarten, his kindergarten teacher said, well, hello what's your name? And he said, Buddy. And uh, she kind of got a big smile on her face, and she said, well, what's your other name? And he said, Zachary. So he knew he had another name, but to all of us, he was known as Buddy. So to her family and those around her, she was known as Esther. We know that she was an orphan, that she lost both her parents and was being raised by her cousin Mordecai. And in chapter 2, verse 7, it tells us that he raised Esther like she was his own daughter. We know that she was of the Jewish descent, that she was a, that she was a Jewish girl, that she was living in exile in, in what was considered to be Persia. It was a vast kingdom. She lived in the citadel of Susa. We know that she was from the, the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin being the tribe of, of, of 
courageous and warlike people. So that was her, that was her heritage where she had come from. These things are important to know as we learn and we, and we study about Esther because they tell us a little bit more of where she's been what her life was like, so that as we see her life unfold, that we see how these things play a part. And we know that these things are important because in all of us, God takes all these things and uses it for our good. Christine Kane wrote a book called Unexpected. And in this book, she shares that God wants us to learn how to accept every unexpected event as an invitation to trust Jesus and his word to expect goodness all the way through. A life lived like that one is, the most power, is one of the most powerful forces on the planet because there's, there's a momentum of courage and faith that propels into new places. What if we learn to embrace the unpredicted shocks, stressors, and uncertainties in life and then use them for our gain? She says, maybe there's a perspective and an ingredient, the way we process life that needs to change, maybe there's a level of trust even higher that we can believe for those who love God, all things will work together for good. Romans 8, 28. Maybe there is more. Here we're going to talk about today how that God took all these things that had been in Esther's life, and we're going to watch how he begins to unfold goodness and how that he uses all these things that he's planned for her future. Esther 4.14 was really a pivotal verse for Esther. It's kind of the verse that really changes the whole circumstances. It changes her perspective, and it awakens her to God's purpose and what, he's really, what he is doing in her life in this moment and in this season. Esther 4.14, as we read in the beginning, says, And who knows, but you have come to royal position for such a time as this. And when I looked at this verse, I began to think about that there were three components in this verse. So if you kind of break it down, there's a who, there's a where, and there's a when. And I want to start by sharing, by talking a little bit about the who. And in this verse, Mordecai is talking to Esther. And he starts by asking Esther, he says, who knows? Who knows? He's asking her, Esther, who knows? Well, in Jeremiah 1.5, we hear God telling Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as prophet to the nations. God knew you. Before you were born, he preceded your, your existence. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God has always had a plan. He had a plan for Esther and he has a plan for you. Esther's circumstances were not bigger than his plans. Who knows? God knows. And then, and then Mordecai moves to the where. He says, but you have come, but that you have come to royal position. 
Mordecai here is reminding Esther of where she is right now at this moment. Where are you, Esther? Where are you standing? Where are you existing at right now in this time? And I want you to understand that Esther didn't get to the palace by accident. This little Jewish girl, this little orphan Jewish girl did not get here by accident. And so I want to back up a little bit and go to chapter 1 and tell you a little bit about how she got there. We, you, we read in chapter 1 a little bit about King Xerxes and what a, a little bit about his, his personality and who he is. And history tells us that he was a tall, handsome guy and that he had a lot of money and he was really like to show it off. And we read in chapter 1 that he had just had... had spent 180 days celebrating his wealth and showing off his wealth to the kingdom, how vast his kingdom was. And so he ended this 180 days with a seven-day banquet. And the Bible says that there was a lot of wine flowing during the seven days, and the guests were treated royally. And so at the end of this, the last day of, of the celebration, the Bible says that he was very high-spirited, and he being a very proud man, a handsome man, and very proud of all that he had built in his great palace and showing it off to everyone, realized that he wanted to show off another one of his treasures. And that was his queen, Queen Vashti. And so he summons for Queen Vashti for them to put on her royal apparel and to put the crown upon her head and for her to come and to be paraded in front of the guest. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of details about what happened. But it does say that Vashti refused. And when she refused, the law declared that she must be banished from the kingdom. And so the king was advised to find a new queen. And many girls from the kingdom were brought to the palace. And Esther was one of the chosen. She was brought to the king's palace and placed under the care of one of the king's eunuchs named Haggai. And we're going to see how God used Haggai as a key player in the story of Esther. And the interesting thing about kind of this part of the story is, is once they were received into the chosen group of girls, it wasn't just like, okay, now who's going to be the queen? There was a long season of preparation. These young girls went through 12 months of, of preparation, of beauty, Beauty treatments. Could you imagine 12 months of beauty treatments? What would we look like after 12 months of beauty treatments? I'd like to try. <laughs> but no, so what we see here, though, is that God had placed another authority in Esther's life during this season. God had brought her out of her home, put her into the palace, and now he had placed another authority in her life, and that was Haggai. And we see two examples in the book of Esther, of authority in, in, in Esther's life. Mordecai, her cousin, her cousin father, who became her father, you know, before she goes into the palace, he tells her, he says, he tells her not to reveal her nationality. He tells her to keep it, to, to, to not say that she's Jewish. And there was wisdom there. And and you don't see Esther arguing back and forth with him saying, well, why? Why can I not tell who I am and where I'm from? I'm proud of it. Instead, she just simply obeys and and just takes that, that love and wisdom that he's giving to her. And then when she gets into the palace, 
and sees that Haggai is the authority that God has placed over her. The Bible says that she won Haggai's favor and that he placed her on a special diet and gave her the special reg regiments that she needed and began to prepare her for what was to come. It says in, verse, in chapter 2 and verse 15 that when the turn came for Esther to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And then Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. See, Esther didn't go to another girl. She didn't go and say, well, what are you doing? What lipstick are you wearing? Or what perfume do you think the king would like? She listened to the authority that God had placed over her life. She went to him because she knew that, that he knew. She recognized that he knew the king that he heard from the king. He knew what the king liked. And so she placed herself under his authority and, and listened to the guidance that he was giving her and began to practice the, all the things that he was telling her to do to be ready. You know, it's interesting how that authority is one of those things that we have a tendency in life to really, like, rebel against. I don't want to say rebel, but really refrain from. And it's interesting to me how that in, if, if our plumbing goes bad, we don't hesitate to call the plumber. Or if our car starts, stops working, we don't hesitate to call the mechanic. But when we're having life problems, when we're having spiritual problems, or we're, we're confused about some things happening in our life spiritually, we don't, we don't necessarily reach out to our pastor. We don't necessarily always call our pastor our shepherd. James 3.15 says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with understanding and knowledge. You know, a couple of years ago, our kids gave us, Alan and I, for Christmas, a thermostat, one of these nice new digital thermostats. And Alan and I decided we would just install it ourselves. And uh, so we, we did. We disassembled the old one and proceeded to glance over the instructions and put the new thermostat on. And so we got it all connected, turned it on, and guess what? Nothing. And uh, no AC coming on, nothing. So we, you know, began to kind of try to troubleshoot it the best we could. Finally, we ended up having to call the air conditioning guy. He came out, and he said, he showed us. He said, well, you missed a little step in the, in the instructions here. And he said, unfortunately, there's a little fuse that if you don't connect something properly, you'll that you'll uh, uh, break that fuse. And so he just went and simply re repaired it, and then before you know it, it was up and running. And it was interesting to me that when I think about that, that, you know, we, we kind of just push through that thinking, we can handle this, we've got it under control. But then when, we, when it kind of got really bad, we could have kept trying to figure it out, and we could have made things worse, or we could have just sat there in the, in the heat and not had any air conditioning. But instead, we called someone that knew what they were doing and that they understood. Even though we had the instructions in front of us, we had missed a step. And he just simply kind of guided us through that and showed us what we had done wrong and then just helped us repair it. You know, authority is not a bad thing. Spiritual authority is not a bad thing. And for Esther, for Esther, it was an important, crucial part of what God had planned for her. You know, when we're struggling and when we're going through difficult seasons in our life, God didn't say we had to go through it alone. He's placed loving shepherds over our life 
that are there to help guide and to help help open the word up for us a little more, to reach heaven for us, to help, help us to understand what is God saying to me in this season? What does he want me to hear in this season? Help me to interpret the instructions that I see in front of me. That's what, that's what spiritual authority is for. And then he says to her, he talks about royal position. What does it mean to come into royal position? Well, for Esther... It was about the plan that God had for her to become queen. It's real, it was really God's will for her life. Those 12 months were not just beauty treatments, but they were preparation for her to become the queen that God was calling her to be. They were, they were learning not just how to, how to put perfume on or how to dress, but they were, it was teaching her how to be, to be a queen. What was the protocol? What was the laws? What was expected of her? There was a training and a preparation that was happening. It was not just happening on the outside, but it was happening on the inside. God was doing a work in her because he was taking her from being a girl to being a woman. And he was doing a work in her, and he was maturing her, and he was growing her, and he was instilling her inside of her everything that she would need to step into that role of queen. It was a preparation season. Royal position for her was the will of God. And Mordecai was reminding Esther that there was a purpose in her position, that God had placed her there for a time and a reason. He was reminding her that, there, that, that we can delay God's will by not putting into practice what we've been learning. For some of you, you have been ever learning but never stepping into the will of God. And thirdly, we see Mordecai awakens Esther to God's timing, the when. For such a time as this, in chapters 3 and 4, we learn that Haman, one of the king's noble, had devised a plan to destroy all of the Jews. Haman had developed a hatred for Mordecai. And that hatred went beyond hatred just for him, but it became a hatred for all Jews. And so he had devised this plan and, and created this, this whole scheme where he went to the king and a decree was sent out that all Jews were to be killed and abolished. And Mordecai was grieved when he learned of the decree that had been sent out. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, it says that when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. Some of the maids of Esther had seen Mordecai and brought word back to Esther and telling her that Mordecai was standing at the king's gate and that he, how he was dressed, that he was in sackcloth and ashes, that he was wailing and crying. Well, she instantly knew something was wrong. And as, as most women do, she sprung into action and she felt like he needed a new set of clothes. So she sent him a set of clothes and, and he refused him. And, and he sent word back to her. And, and so she sends, she goes and she she gets one of the king's eunuchs and she said, go to Mordecai and find out what's going on. She knew something was really wrong. 
And so Mordecai tells the eunuch what's about the plot of Haman and the decree that was sent out that was to destroy all, that all the Jewish people would be annihilated. And so he sends word back to Esther and he says, you must go in front of the king and beg for mercy. You must beg for mercy. We begin to see a new side of Esther appear. What we begin to see here is we see that she was really deep inside. There was a lot of fear and insecurity. Because she sends word back to Mordecai, and in the message she sends back to him, she says to him two things. She says two excuses. The first one being, I can't go in front of the king because because only those who were summoned can go in front of the king. And if you go in front of the king and you're not summoned, you'll be put to death. And the only way around that is if the king was to, was to lower his golden scepter and receive you. But she said, I can't go. I will die. And then she goes on to tell another excuse. The first one being she was afraid. She was showing that she was afraid of death. The second one she tells him, she says, and I can't go because I have not been summoned by the king in 30 days. She was revealing that there was an insecurity inside of her where she had once won the favor of the king for 30 days he had not asked for her. And she was feeling insecure. And that fear and, 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 and insecurity was causing her to hesitate. It was causing her just to kind of stand still and not want to not move into action because she was, she was dealing with these two things. And so... She sends word back to Mordecai with these two things, with these two excuses, fear and insecurity. And Mordecai sends a word back to her. And I want to read, this is the full verse of 414. We read part of it earlier, but we're going to read the whole thing right now. And he said, and I want to call this the awakening word. He said, for if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance for Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family's father, I mean, your, your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. He was telling Esther, you're not God's only option. You know, there are many times that God is, speaks to us that he's calling us into an action, and we instantly come back to him with our excuses. And maybe it's because we're afraid. Maybe we're insecure. But we instantly come back with him with our excuses instead of just realizing that, hey, if we're not going to do it, there's other options. God has another option. God ultimately wanted to use Esther. That was his plan, to use Esther. And so Mordecai was reminding her, he was reminding her that God had placed her into this place, that from the beginning of time, he has known her, that he has, for this time and season, he has put her into the palace for this time, that, and that he had a plan for that. And this was the time, that now is the time, Esther. Now is the time. Now are the time. 
realizing that at simultaneous times that God was working, that learning to trust God's timing, that when he was working through Mordecai, he was also working to elevate Esther. God's timing is perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. He is perfect. He is always on time. We may be late, but he is always on time. Esther was awakened, and so she sent her reply back to Mordecai. And she said, go, gather together all the Jews who were in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, when this is done, I will go to the king. And even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. We see Esther leaning into that season of preparation. We see her leaning back into understanding that I can't go in there until I'm ready. I can't go in there until I'm ready. But you know what? We can, we can wait and it can be too late. She had to realize that there has to come a time that you got to move, that you got to get up and you got to do something about it. And so she knew that she needed to call upon the people around her. You know, church, there is, we, God has placed around us a church family. He has placed around us a community that is there ready to love and support us through these seasons. That the problem is, is we keep our mouths closed. The problem is, is that we don't reach out to those that are around us. When's the last time you picked up the phone and said, I got something going on and I need you to fast and pray with me. I got needs. I, I'm sick in my body. I need, I, my family is in need right now. When is the last time that we called upon the community of God to get on their hands and knees and pray with us, to agree with us? I'm going to tell you something. A few months ago, we were having prayer meeting here and it was on a Tuesday night. And I remember one of the ladies in the church asked me, she said, what can we pray with you about? And so many times people asked me that. And I, and I started to say, oh no, no nothing, I'm good. And God just quickened in my spirit, you have not because you ask not. Yeah, come on. And, I'm, and I just opened up to them and I said, I want to tell you right now, I've been dealing with a lot of, a lot of anxiety, kind of quiet anxiety, secret anxiety. And when I began to pour that out and those people surrounded me and started praying for me, let me tell you something, something started breaking free. That fear and that anxiety and those insecurities that I was feeling began to break free. And what I began to feel was courage rise up within me. What I began to feel was God's presence rise up within me. And so church, I want to tell you, when you've got something ahead of you, you need to call upon the people that are around you. People that you know that can pray. People that can touch the throne of God for you. People that can agree with you. So that when you walk into the presence of the King, you will be received. You will be received. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you read on in the book of Esther, you find that she does go in front of the king. And when she, when she goes, he lowers his scepter and receives her. And there's a beautiful story that unfolds of how that through her honor and, and through just her respect for the king and what she does, that he ends up, that the whole plot of Haman is revealed. And that the very gallows that Haman built to hang Mordecai on, 
Haman was hung on. God had a plan. He had a timing. And, and Esther trusted in the timing of God. Well, like Esther, each of you have a unique work that God has called only you to do. And I want to ask you today, where are you in the process? Are you stuck in the preparation and relying on someone else to step, to step up right now? Are you living a self-guided life? Are you lost in the, in the scheme of authority? What needs to change about how you are living your life? God is trying to grow you up, and he's called you for this time and for this season. And I want to encourage you today to know that, that God has always had a plan and that it doesn't matter how big the things in your past are, they're not bigger than God's plans. And Romans 8.28, I want to read it again to us as we get ready to close and just remind you and, and encourage you to know that for in all things, for we know that in all things, not some things, not little things, big things, but in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, and who have been a called according to his purpose. Amen. Esther realized that it was God that knew her, that he was the who. She recognized that he had placed her in this position, in this royal position, and that she awakened to the, to the timing that the season was now. And I want to encourage you, I don't know where you are in the process today, but I want to encourage you that God has called you for such a time as this. That he has called you for such a time as this. Thank you for joining us here on All Things True. Please tune in to our next episode. And remember, in a world of negativity, God is good and he invites us to reflect his goodness to everyone around us. Think about that.